Seated. You may be seated. Good morning, Lakeview Church. It is so good to be with you, and uh, we are in a message series that we are calling Ancient Stories for Everyday People. We're looking at stories from the Old Testament and excited to share the second message with you in that series. But before I do that, I just want to say if this is your first Sunday here, welcome. We are so very glad that you're here. We hope that you find this to be a welcoming place where you feel at home. And if this is your thousandth Sunday or more here, Thank you for being faithful. We are so glad that you're here. And for those of you who are joining us online, just want to say a special welcome to you. Whether you're watching this live in this moment or on demand sometime later, we're so glad that you're here. And I just believe everybody here in this room wants to say hi to you and welcome you here. So can we do that, congregation? As I shared, uh, we're in this series called Ancient Stories for Everyday People, and every Sunday in June and July, we're going to the Old Testament, and we're kind of looking at some Bible stories from the Old Testament, these ancient old stories which have wisdom and truth for our lives Today. And when I use the term story, some of you might be tempted to think that I'm suggesting that these, these stories from the Old Testament are kind of fictional fairy tales. And nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, uh, these stories that we're looking at are real, factual, historical events that actually happened. Where the God of the Bible interacts with real human beings in real places real times, real events, real situations. And as we go back and read these stories, which have been recorded for our benefit, so that we can know who God is and know how to live faithfully for him, we can discover real truth and real wisdom for real people in today's real world. And so I just want to make sure that you know that we're not just talking about some kind of fantasy stories. We're talking about real truth where God speaks to his people and interacts with his people. And these stories contain truth for us so that we can live faithfully for him today. We started this series last week by looking at Daniel chapter one. And we talked about how the people of God were taken into exile and they were taken to this nation of Babylon and they were in captivity there. And we specifically focused in on Daniel and the three Hebrew associates that were with him. And we talked about how the culture was trying to assimilate them and kind of bring them into their pagan way of thinking and living and behaving and how Daniel stood strong and lived a godly life in an ungodly culture. And today in the second installment, I want to stay in the book of Daniel, but I want to shift our focus from Daniel to those three Hebrew men that came with Daniel to Babylon. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and those were their Babylonian names. And someone asked me uh, just this morning, how come Daniel is referred to throughout the book as Daniel, and the three Hebrew boys are are referred to by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there are really two reasons that is the case. The first one is Daniel wrote the book. So he just liked his own name better and made sure that that stayed consistent. And the second is because it's just more fun to say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are the two factual, real reasons why those names continue throughout the book. But we're going to focus in on these three Hebrew men, and, and we're going to specifically talk about how 
to trust God when the heat gets turned up. Because I think we live in a day and in a time where the pressures of this world are pushing in on us. And we all have lots of different pressures. We might be taking flack because of our faith in God. We might be facing a bad report from the doctor. We might be in a trying situation or circumstance. We might have a relationship in our life right now that's strained and feels like it's pulling apart. We might be going through a situation or a circumstance which seems as if it is pushing against us and we don't know how we're gonna stand strong in the midst of that. And it feels like the heat is being turned up in our lives. How do we trust God when the heat gets turned up? I think the story in Daniel chapter three has something to say to us about how to trust God in the midst of that. But before we turn our attention to the word, can we just pause for a prayer and ask God to speak to us through his word today? God, as we turn our attention to your word, your truth, your scriptures, And God, even though the story that we are looking at happened thousands of years ago, would you make it alive for us today? And would you allow your Holy Spirit, who is at work in this room, to speak through this scripture to our lives today? And may we find our faith being built. May we find our eyes being lifted up to see where our help comes from today. And may we find our spirits and our souls and our hearts being encouraged and strengthened for this moment and this season that we find ourselves in. We give you this time and we give ourselves to you and we just simply say, Lord, speak for we, your servants, are listening. We pray these things today in Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Daniel chapter three. We're going to just walk through this story this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, let me just say a couple things to you. First, just relax. All the things I'm going to read are going to be on the screens for you today. So you'll be able to follow along and you won't be lost. Um, But if you don't have a Bible and you'd like a Bible, all you need to do is visit our Welcome Center at the back or you can see me right up front after the service. We have Bibles and we would love to just share that with you as our gift to you. So if you don't have a Bible and you want one or need one, please let us know. We would love to put one in your hands. But for today, for this service, just draw your attention to the screen. We're gonna read through Daniel chapter three. And we're gonna kind of go just a few verses at a time and kind of unpack this story Together. So Daniel chapter 3, this is how the passage begins. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all of these officials came and they stood before the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted, people of all races and nations and language, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. 
Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and they worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So let's just stop there for a moment and just make sure we have a clear picture of what's happening. I mean, this part of the story kind of stands for itself. It's kind of self-explanatory. Nebuchadnezzar's basically saying, I've got an idea. I actually think I'm God or at least the incarnate image of God. So I'd like to build a statue that looks just like me. And I want to make everybody in the kingdom come And when we play the musical instruments, I want everyone to bow down and essentially worship me. This is what Nebuchadnezzar is saying. He's basically saying, I am God. I am all powerful. I am the highest authority in the land. I am the one that you should serve. I am the one that you should worship. And so he builds this ginormous statue. I mean, it is huge and it's it's made to look just like him. And he's got all the leaders in the land, everyone coming to this place to worship him. So just to make sure we have it clear, arrogant king, self-centered worship that he's calling on the people to give to him. And he wants everybody to know that he's the one who is the authority and the power and the one to be served in the land. And they play the musical instruments and everyone's gonna bow down, right? That's what we think is going to happen. But what we discover, if you keep reading verse 8 and verse 12, you discover that not everyone bowed down. Not everyone worshipped Nebuchadnezzar. This is what it says. But some of the astrologers went to the king and they informed on the Jews. In other words, they're tattletaling. They're, they're, They're basically saying they didn't do what you said that they should do. And this is what they tell the king. There are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. So again, here's the picture. The king has built a statue in his own image. When the music plays, bow down to this image. Everyone does that except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then some of the other leaders in in the king's court say, hey, these guys aren't doing what you said. They must not really love you, king. They must not really want to serve you, king. Uh, you You should get them. And in essence, they're really wanting the Jews in this story to either compromise their faith to decide they're going to put their faith somewhere other than their God or that they would be destroyed. Either way, these other leaders in the king's court win. If they can get the Jews to compromise, they win. If they can get them to be destroyed in the fire, they win. And they don't really care what happens to the Jews. They're just coming to the king to say, we got to do something about these people because they're not with the program. And we either need them to change their faith perspective or we need to destroy them. Now it's interesting, the words that are used in this verse, I wanna draw your attention to two of them in the last sentence of the verse, the word serve and the word worship. They say that 
They do not serve your gods and they do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. And when you study these words, even though they're two different English words, if you go back to the original Hebrew, which is what this passage of scripture was originally written in, and you study those two words, they share the same definition. They're different Hebrew words, they're different English words, but the definitions of those two words line up. And here's what these words actually mean. They actually mean that you would give yourself or devote yourself to a deity or to the image of a deity. This isn't just saying, hey, we're gonna have some some ceremonies that we're gonna go through, we're gonna sing some songs, we're gonna have a little, a little service, a little ceremony. Just come be a part of that. No, this is so much more than that. The king is not just saying, go through some rituals, go through some ceremonies, sing some songs, say some words. No, he's actually saying, this image that I've set up, which represents me, I need you to devote yourself completely to me. I need you to recognize me as the authority and the power over your life. I need you to submit yourself to who I am. That's what the king is asking for. And you just need to know, there are lots of things in our world right now that are asking you to do exactly that. They're asking you, forget about your God, forget about your faith, forget about your convictions, forget about the way you think you're supposed to live your life. Just bow down and give your life completely to this other God, this other entity, this other power, this other authority. And this is the constant challenge that you and I will face in our lives. Right? This is exactly what the king has set up before them. Are you going to bow down and worship me, give your life to me, devote yourself fully to me, or are you going to keep worshiping your God? You got to understand, this is exactly why the Hebrew boys can't bow down. This is not just some civic ceremony that they just go through and then they just move on with the rest of their lives. This is a decision to turn their back on their God and to say that Nebuchadnezzar is a higher power, a higher authority, someone worthy of their trust and their devotion and their worship, and they simply cannot bow down. They cannot go along with that philosophy. And that's why they remain standing when the instruments play. Now, you understand, we've talked about this before, um, and I probably don't need to remind you, but I'm going to remind you anyway, that What made Israel so unique is that they were different from all of the other nations around them in that all of the other nations around them, including Babylon, believed that there were many gods. It's called polytheism. It's when you believe that there's more than one God and you can actually somehow make sense of it in your mind to worship a whole bunch of different gods, to honor a whole bunch of different gods, and to try to keep them all separate and and pay homage to them and honor them and keep them on your good side so that they they would take care of you. And so when God reveals himself to the nation of Israel, he sets the nation of Israel apart because he, he lets them in on a truth that no one else around them has yet figured out. That there aren't many gods. 
There's just one. God reveals himself to Israel and he actually gives them this prayer in the law. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. In other words, there's only one God and he's worthy of your entire life. And I know God says what all the other nations will tell you that there's a river God and you should pay homage to him because you don't want the river to flood and you also don't want the river to dry up. So you better take care of that God. And there's a God of the field and you need your crops to grow there. So you better pay homage to that God. And there's a God of, of the sun and a God of rain. And you better take care of them because you need just the right proportions of sun and rain to make those crops grow. And on and on and on it goes. And so what you have in all of these cultures around Israel is superstitious religion. Just trying to keep all the gods happy so that your life can function. And God says, there's only one God. And he created heaven and earth. He owns it all. He's over it all. And he is Lord of it all. And you just need to worship him with everything that you are. So when the king says, look at this statue of me, bow down and give yourself to me. These Hebrew boys say, we can't do that. Because king, whatever you think about yourself, you're not God. There's only one God and we're gonna keep worshiping him. So the king gets these guys in front of him and if you look now at verse 15, this is what it says. I'll give you one more chance, the king says, to bow down and worship the statue that I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Have you ever, have you ever had a moment when you're watching a movie and you think to yourself, they're gonna regret saying that. Or when, when the favorite player from your team goes on the sports cast the week before the big game and guarantees a win, it's like, mm, you're going to regret saying that. You're going to regret it. When, when I read this passage over the last couple of months, I, I just kept coming to this phrase and thinking, oh, King, you're going to regret. You're going to regret saying that. What God can save you from my power? We're gonna find out as this story unfolds. The king, in essence here, is demanding these men to bow down and worship him. And he's simply saying to them, you have to make a decision. Are you gonna keep worshiping your God or are you gonna recognize me as God over all and are you gonna worship me? And here's the first key question in this passage. Who will you worship? This is a question every single one of us has to answer in our lives. Who will you worship? And I don't mean worship in the way we often think of worship. We, we have such a small definition of worship. We define worship as songs that we sing or a service that we attend. And, and that's part of worship, but it's just a little tiny part of worship. 
Those are things we do when we gather together for worship. But worship is actually when you take your entire life and you give it to God. You are the sacrifice on the altar, right? This is what Romans 12 says, right? Therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your entire being as a living sacrifice to God. This is true worship, the New Testament says, when you give yourself to God. So I'm not talking about the songs we sing or the services we attend. I'm talking about who are you going to bow down to and, and acknowledge as God over your life? This is a question for every single one of us. And some of you are here this morning and you've never made a decision about which God you're gonna serve or follow. And today might be your day to say, for the rest of my life, I'm gonna follow the one true and only living God. I'm gonna give my life to him. This is the decision we all have to make. Who will you worship? Now, as the story unfolds, look at verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. Don't you just love their confidence? We know you're king. We know you made this ginormous statue of yourself. And we know you want us to worship that. But we don't need to defend ourselves before you, king. Even though you're the king, we, we, don't need to, we don't need to offer a defense. And this is what they say next. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Now, there are a few things to point out here, but the first one I want to just point out is the way that they respect the king. And this, just a little aside this morning, that as we deal with forces in this world that threaten our faith and that push against us, we will from time to time have to take our stand and speak directly to those people, to those forces, to those issues. And we should do that. But we should never do it in a disrespectful or hateful way. Because if your position is right and your disposition is wrong, you're wrong. You can hold the right position, 100% accurate, 100% true. It is the right thing. But if you hold that in front of other people with the wrong disposition, you are wrong. We're not just called to stand for the convictions of the Christian faith. We're called to stand for them with Christ-like character and love. And so even when you are standing up, you can still be respectful. I love the fact that they say to him, we don't need to defend ourselves before you, your majesty. We're not gonna serve your God. We're not gonna bow down. We're not gonna worship that statue, your majesty. There's a respect there, but there's a firmness. They're not wavering in their conviction, but they're being respectful as they take their stand. And I think we can learn something from that. But there's a lot more to learn from the way they respond to the king. 
Because what they're doing right now is they're moving beyond worship. They've already decided who they're going to serve, who's going to get their life. But now they're moving into this area of trust. And they're basically starting to to put their trust on display. It's one thing to say, God, you've got my life. It's another thing when the heat gets turned up to say, I'm going to trust you in the middle of this difficulty. Right? When life is good, it's easy to trust. In fact, I'm not even sure you can call it trust. Because it's not requiring anything of you when life is good. You're just sailing along. Everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. Sorry. You're just going along. Everything's great. But when you face the difficulty, when it's not easy to stand for your convictions, when the situation is trying, when the report from the doctor isn't good, when the money isn't in the account, when the deadline is fast approaching and you do not know how you're going to meet it, when the pressure gets cranked up in life, that's when trust becomes important. Do you in that moment say, God, I'm going to serve you, but I'll, I'll try to take it from here because I don't actually trust you to care for this situation. I don't actually think you can handle this, God, so I'll take it over from here and I'll, I'll guide the situation. I'll navigate the circumstance. Or do you remain in that place of absolute surrender to say, God, this is hard, this is difficult, this is trying, but I'm going to trust you. These guys in this story, the heat is getting turned up. Guys, you got one more chance. One more chance to bow down. We're going to play that song one more time. We're going to sing it one more time. And, and you got you to decide, are you going to bow down? Are you going to worship? Or are you going to still stand in defiance of the command to honor your own God? What are you going to do? And it's in this moment that these These men, they put their trust in God. They move beyond surrender and worship and they actually just put their trust in him. And there's two kinds of ways that they display their trust here. The first way is they have faith in God's ability. They have faith in God's ability. Look at it. The God whom we serve is able to save us. Remember the question the king asked? What God could save you from my power? These these men right here are saying, oh, our God. Our God can. And there's not like, we think he could. He might be able to. This is a confident statement. Our God is able to rescue us from this situation. You can do whatever you want to do to us, King. We're not worried. Our God is able. And this is faith in God's power. And some of you today, you need to be reminded that the situation you're facing, it might seem big to you. 
overwhelming, like there's no possible way that you could make it through, that there's no possible way that relationship could be restored. There's no possible way that deadline could be met. There's no possible way that the money could be in the account to pay that bill. There's no possible way that I could be free from that thing that that seems to hold me captive. Whatever it is today, you might think that your situation, your circumstance is so big that there's no way through. And I want to just remind you today, our God is a deliverer. He is able. And some of you need to hear that today. And you need to let the word of God from these three Hebrew men just build your faith today that your God is able to make a way for you even when there seems to be no way. They had faith in God's ability and this ability wasn't just faith in God's power, it was also faith in his love because they go on to say, he will rescue us from your power. Now, some of you believe God can do it, but some of you don't believe God wants to. You have a hard time believing that God would care enough about you or love you enough or even know you enough to know what you're going through to deliver you in this moment. And I wanna just remind you today that the God that we serve is the same God who says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, and they are not plans to harm you. They're plans to give you a hope and to give you a future. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. God loves you. And God wants you to enter into everything that he has for you. And some of you struggle with this because maybe there have been situations in the past where you've tried to trust God and God didn't come through the way you wanted him to. And you interpreted that as meaning God doesn't love me because God didn't do what I wanted him to do which is why you need the second kind of faith that these men display in this passage. They had faith in God's ability. They believed his power, he was capable. They believed that he loved them enough that he wanted to deliver them. But then they had faith in God's will. They had faith in God's will. They said, but even if he doesn't, we still won't serve your God. Do you see what they're saying here? They're saying, listen, you can do whatever you want to us. We just believe God can deliver us and we believe God will deliver us. But our trust in God is not dependent on God doing what we want him to do in this situation. And some of you need to hear this today because some of you are carrying anger at God. Because there's been a situation in your past where you wanted God to do something for you in a certain way to line up with your will. Just a little note here. It's the other way around. It's not my will, but yours be done. Some of us go to God and say, not your will, but mine be done. And then when God doesn't do things the way we want him to do it, we get angry at him for not being a God that we can control. And I'm just telling you today, you can hold on to that hurt and that bitterness and that anger if you want to, but if you want to know what it means to really be alive again in God, you need to let that go. I'm not saying it didn't hurt and I'm not saying it wasn't hard, 
But I am saying that whatever God decided to do in response to your trust in that moment, you have to believe, even if you can't see it, even if you can't understand it, even if you can't figure it out in your own brain power, you have to trust that his ways are in fact higher than your ways. That at his very character, he is holy and good and righteous and blameless. And that he can see things that you can't see. And he knows things that you don't know. And you have to trust him that even if he doesn't do what you want him to do in that moment, he is still God and he is still good. And your life if you keep trusting him in those moments, can be a testimony to others around you about how good he is and about how worthy he is. And your testimony can point people to to him as God. These Hebrew men in this story, they have faith in God's ability, absolute confidence, 100%. God, God can deliver us. What God can save us from your power? Oh, our God can. Not a big deal to him. He can do this. And we actually believe he will. We think he wants to do this. We, we believe that because we have been faithful to him, he's gonna be faithful to us. Because we've honored him, he's gonna honor us. But even if he doesn't, we're still gonna stand and not bow because we believe he is God and king, you are not. And we're not gonna compromise our convictions. They demonstrate this faith. And this brings me to the second key question of this passage. Who will you trust? Who will you trust? Life will turn the heat up. Some of you, you're sweating right now. You can feel the heat of the furnace. It is burning all around you because you've gone through a circumstance. You've gone through a situation. You're in it right now. I know. I know so many of you are in it right now because you've told me. You've told me the pressure you're facing, the challenge that you're dealing with, the trying circumstance that you're walking through. You're you're in that situation where you're wondering what the doctor's gonna say this week. You're wondering if the house is gonna sell. You're wondering if you're gonna be in a situation where you're gonna be able to pay that bill. Is that marriage gonna be restored? Are you really gonna be set free from that challenging addiction that you are facing in your life? You've told me the challenges you're facing and for everyone who's told me, the challenge they're facing. There are others of you in this room who are facing those challenges and you haven't told anyone. Life turns up the heat. And if you happen to be in a moment where the air conditioning's on in your life and it's 68 degrees and it feels perfect, just hold on. Just hold on. It's the way life works. It's the price we pay for being human. Jesus never said, if you follow me, your life will be easy and you'll never have trouble. In fact, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's just gonna happen. 
So when, when heat gets turned up, who will you trust? Will you trust God? Will you say, God, I know you can deliver me in this situation and I believe that you love me and that you have my best interest at heart in this situation. So God, even if you deliver me or you don't, I know that whatever happens will be for my best and it will be for your glory. And if we can hold on to that circumstance, no matter how hot the furnace gets, we can point people to God in the midst of this world. And our world needs that from us. They need us to be people of faith who endure to the end. It's what God is asking of us in this day. So what happens when we put our trust on display? I think as we keep reading this story, and I'm gonna go through these pretty quickly here. But the first thing that I see is when we put trust on display, it, it opens the door for a miracle. It leads to a miracle in this story. Right? The, these, these men, they, they put their trust in God and they, they lay it on the line. We don't need to defend ourselves. God can take care of us. He can set us free. We're not worried about your furnace. And so when they play the music, they don't bow down. The king goes into a rage. He cannot believe it. He is, face is red. He is yelling. There's lots of bleeps in what he's saying, right? He is mad. He is fired up. And he says, the furnace isn't hot enough. Crank that thing up seven times hotter. And take these men and throw them in there. Bind their hands and their feet. Leave them fully clothed and throw them in the fire. And that's exactly what they do. But here's the deal. The furnace is so hot that the guards who are throwing them in, they die. That's how hot the furnace is. So these, these boys have no chance, right? They get thrown into the fire. You see this. In verse 23, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Listen, here's what's happening. The, the king is convinced that he is going to pour out punishment on these men. He's throwing them into the fire and they're going to be consumed in a moment. He knows it. But what was intended to destroy them becomes a meeting place. And God meets them right there in the fire. And listen, I can't tell you if God's going to deliver you from your circumstance or if he's going to allow you to go all the way through your circumstance to be a witness and a testimony for him. But I will guarantee you this. God will be with you in the fire. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He will not walk away from you. He will be right there with you. When we trust God, we put our trust on display. It leads to a miracle. Secondly, trust on display sends a message. Look at verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Now, this is the same king who said, I am God. Worship me. And 
What God would have enough power to rescue you from my power? I am all powerful. I am worthy. And now he is saying, after watching this miracle, he's saying, well, there is a God who is more powerful than me, a God who can rescue from my power. He just did it, and it's miraculous. And he did it because these men trusted in their God, and they would not compromise their convictions. The king got the message. Sometimes God lets us go through trying hard circumstances so we can put our trust on display because there are people around you who need to see and hear the message played out in front of them. And God wants to use your life as a mouthpiece to shout his message to those people around you, which is why you have to trust his will. Sometimes he doesn't do what we want him to do because what we want him to do would short circuit his purposes of making himself known. Trust on display sends a message next. Trust on display elevates God. Look at what happens next. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. You just got to love the Bible. I mean, it just says it like it is. Their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Now, you need to understand something about King Nebuchadnezzar. He's not changing his heart here. If you keep reading in the book of Daniel, you will find Nebuchadnezzar continues to be an evil, wicked king. He doesn't change his heart, but he does acknowledge how great God is. And even though he's a pagan king who hasn't had a change of heart, who still thinks he's God, he's willing to give glory to the God of these men and say, this God is able to rescue and you should never say anything bad about this God. I think Nebuchadnezzar is still motivated selfishly here. I think he's saying, don't, don't speak bad of this God because he could hurt us. Right, But in the midst of all of this, because these men put their trust on display, God gets elevated. And what I love about it is the king has called all of the leaders, the magistrates, the judges, the leaders of the nation, they're all there. And now in front of all of the people of authority and power and position, he's saying, don't speak bad about this God. No God rescues like this. When you put your trust on display in this world, it elevates God and brings glory to him. And then one last thing, it increases impact. Remember, the astrologers come to tattletale on the Jews, right? They're not bowing down. They either want them to compromise their faith or be destroyed in the fire. And neither one of those things happens. They don't compromise their faith. They stand true to what they believe. They are thrown into the fire, but they're not destroyed. They're rescued. And so what happens is not compromise, not destruction, promotion. Look at the last verse. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. Now listen, I would be, I would be telling you something that is not true if I told you every time you stand true for God, you'll always get a promotion. That, that's just not true. That, 
I couldn't make you that promise, but I will make you this promise. If you are faithful to God, God will always be faithful to you. That may not always mean a promotion. It may not always mean a bigger paycheck or more influence in the world or more people following you. Can't guarantee you that, but I can guarantee you this. If you're faithful to God, he will be faithful to you. And if you honor God, God will honor you. He will be with you. He will guide you. He will direct you. And I do believe that if you put your trust on display, that God will use your life to make an impact for him. You might not ever be famous. There may not be a lot of people who know your name or who could tell your story, but there will be people who are close to you, who watch you put your trust on display. No matter what happens to you, you keep being faithful to God. You will have an impact on those lives. They will step back from your life and they will say that person trusted God no matter what, no matter what. As we wrap up today's message, I wanna just give you an opportunity to just reflect on this story and how it relates to your own personal life. And so I wanna just ask you the two questions that we covered in this passage. And the first question is, who will you worship? Some of you came into this room today and you didn't have a relationship with God. You're here and you might not even be sure why you're here. Maybe somebody did a really good job twisting your arm and you said, enough already. I will go to church. And if that's you, thank you for coming. The person who is twisting your arm, they thank you for coming too. But doesn't matter if your arm got twisted and you ended up here or you just ended up here because you thought maybe I should go to church today. Whatever the reason, if you walked into this room and you don't have a relationship with God, the key question for you today is, who will you worship? Who are you gonna give your life to? You're gonna give your life to someone. You're gonna give your life to something. And I just wanna encourage you to give your life to the only true God the God of the Bible, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the God who is the only true God, the one who's worthy of your life. And in fact, today, if we could just for a moment, just have everyone just bow your heads and close your eyes. I just wanna give you a moment. If you're here today and you walked into this room and you didn't have a relationship with God, but today something's been stirring on the inside of you to say, I think that God's worth following. I think that God's worth knowing. I think that God is worth me giving my life to him. And today in this moment, you sense that God is knocking on the door of your heart and just inviting you to let him in. If you would be willing today to say, I, I think I'm ready to give my life, to, to serve that God, to devote myself to him. All I want you to do is just raise your hand right where you're at. I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out. I'm not gonna invite you to come forward, do anything to draw attention to you. I just want you to raise your hand if that's you today and raise it up high so I can see it. Anybody do that today? Now you might be here today and the issue is not for you whether you're gonna worship God or serve God. The question is, are you able in this moment to say that you are trusting God as the heat has been turned up in your life?
And maybe today you've just been challenged by this story to say, you know what, I need to trust God more. And if that's you today, I just want to have an opportunity as we close this service to pray for you. And so if you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm in the furnace right now. The heat's turned up and I just need to trust God more in this moment. I just want you as a, just a step of faith, just to raise your hand up high and say, please pray for me. I need to trust God more. Yeah. Yeah, hands all over this place today. God, you see every hand right now that's raised across this room and in living rooms and at kitchen tables all across our community for people who are joining us online. God, we're, we're raising our hands saying, God, the pressure's on. The heat's been turned up. And God, there's things that we're facing right now and we don't, we don't see the way. We don't know how you're gonna do it. But today, God, we're, we're just saying, we believe you can. And God, where we don't believe you can, would you help our unbelief? And God, we believe in this moment, not only that you can, but that you have a loving heart towards us, your people, and that you will take care of us and you will be with us and you will guide us and you will direct us in this moment. And God, as hard as it might be, we're gonna trust you that no matter what happens next. God, whether you, whether you burn the bindings off of our hands and our feet and you meet with us right in the fire and deliver us from that furnace or God, whether we are burned up for you. God, however hard it might be for us to, to swallow that, to take that in. God, we just believe your word that you have plans and purposes that go beyond our lives that are not to harm, but are to help and to give us a hope and to give us a future. So God, we just trust you. We trust you. God, it's one thing for us to say we trust you, but would you help us to go from this service today and put the trust that we have in you on display for everyone to see. God, help us to remember that it's not the size of the circumstance or the power of the flames that ultimately matters. It is the size and power of our God. And there is no God like our God. You are the creator of all that is. You sit today enthroned in the heavens and the earth is your footstool. Everything is under your power. Everything is under your authority. So everything that we're facing, God, nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing. Build our faith today. And God, as we close this service today, I just pray that you would lift up our eyes so that we can look to the place and the person where our help comes from. We look to you, Lord, and we trust you today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, amen. Can we stand together? As you go from this place today, I just want to encourage you and challenge you. All week long, I've just been praying that God would build your faith, 
that you would leave this place today, not with your head down, not discouraged, not defeated, not weighed down, but you would leave this place with your head lifted up, with your eyes looking to the one who can help you in whatever you're facing. So as you go from this place today, go with faith growing in your heart and be encouraged. You serve a God who can. You serve a God who can. You are sent out from this place.